BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. And welcome, everybody, to the Pod's Honest Truth with David Brody. We are glad you're along for the ride. That's right. I said we, multiple personalities. It's just me, myself, and I. That's not true. We've got the crew. They're everywhere. They're New York. They're Washington. They're Tokyo, London. Now, I don't know if it's Tokyo or London, but the point is we got a big crew and we're here on the podcast today. And by the way, before we get going, can I do a little personal therapy session here? All right. I hope that's okay. Let me just say this. During this whole coronavirus situation, I am really starting to hate Netflix. All right. I binge watch so many episodes. I don't know about you. I'd be curious. Uh, email me, please. Dbrody at justthenews.com. Dbrody at justthenews.com. And tell me how many Netflix episodes you're binge watching. Look, for me, it's getting ridiculous. I, I have to step away from the television. I mean, uh, let's see. I did the, ti- uh, the Tiger King. That was actually really interesting. But anyhow, the Tiger King. I got Nikki Jam. Have you heard about this? Nikki Jam. It's in Spanish. I know I'm hip. I'm cool. You know, the whole San Juan, Puerto Rico singer situation. Anyhow, uh, Anna Green Gables. I'm all over the map, by the way. Uh, Jane the Virgin. I can't keep track anymore. I need to stop. My brain literally frying away. Anyhow, that's it. I just needed to vent. I saw a microphone, so hey, I just went for it. All right, uh, let's switch gears. As a matter of fact, it's time to get into high gear on today's podcast because our guest, did I just say because? That's my New York. Because, you know, look, I have certain uh, words from New York. Sometimes my New York accent comes through like water and order. Now, I can say it nicely, water and order, but sometimes I want to say, can I take your order and can I get you a glass of water? All right, so this is what I do. Anyhow, that's a, that has nothing to do with what I want to talk about because I do want to talk about the man that's going to be on the podcast today. He brings it in high gear, 120 miles per hour. Normally, you get a major speeding ticket. Here, though, it gets you a really entertaining podcast interview. And on the podcast today, drum roll, please. I hope we afforded the drum roll in the budget. Clearly, we did. Corey Lewandowski on the podcast today. Yes, the campaign manager for Donald Trump in 2016. And now he is senior advisor to the campaign in 2020. He has got so much to say that we actually had to divide it up into two segments. So strap on the seatbelt because seatbelt, you got to wear your seatbelt. It's legal, right? Strap it on. Wait until you hear Corey tackle everything from Biden uh, to the challenges ahead for the president. He also talks about the deep state with Michael Flynn, Roger Stone, and Paul Manafet. Manafet? Manafort. Well, sorry, Manafet's his brother, but Manafort, you know what I'm talking about. Anyhow, this is a smorgasbord galore served up by Corey Lewandowski. He's all over the buffet. He's doing steak, desserts from cocktail, salad, bread, more dessert, by the way. Everything you can ask for, and it's all free on the Pod's Honest Truth Buffet today. We call it the Corey Lewandowski Buffet, now playing in Vegas or right here on the Pod's Honest Truth. Hey, before we get to that, I want to talk about this big gamble by President Trump. Now, let me just be frank with you, okay? Donald Trump wants to get 
this economy open again. And folks, news for you right now, he's getting antsy. He's got a bit of an itchy trigger finger to get this thing called the economy moving again. Now, I know he says he's leaving it to the governors. Great, knock yourself out. But we all know the real deal, right? He wants these governors to step on it pronto. Yes, I get it. He wants to be safe, fine. But he's really itching to start this recovery phase right now because Trump doesn't do negative well, right? Actually, who does? But Trump does not do negative well at all. He likes to go with the positive and the can-do attitude. And that it is what it, that is what is driving him through all of this. So look, it's all well and good that he wants to get going again. I got to get people back to work, make America work again, right? Obviously, if this recovery happens too soon, though, and we get a COVID-19 relapse in a big way, hey, it could be the end of his presidency. As a matter of fact, Corey Lewandowski is going to talk about that directly on the podcast today. But I want to start with some good news for the president on the reopening of the economy. That's down in Georgia. Now, you remember the governor down there, Brian Kemp, got totally ridiculed, lambasted. I love that word, lambasted for uh, opening up his state when people said he shouldn't do so. So Georgia, in a way, is like a test case for how this potentially could all play out. Now, you have to take it with a grain of salt. I get the numbers. You know, we're going to I'm going to give you some numbers here and we understand you'll take it with a grain of salt. Uh, and re but remember now, the cynics and the Trump haters thought that Georgia was opening way too soon. Remember that. But let's go to the facts. Here are the numbers from the Georgia Department of Health since May 1st. That's the day he opened up the state again. All right. We're going to start with April 30th, the day before. April 30th, confirmed cases in Georgia, 386. May 1st, the day that he opens up uh, the state, 215. So it's down about 150. The next day, May 2nd, now we've gone from 215 down to 57. The next day, May 3rd, 35. We keep going down. May 4th goes up a little to 58. And on May 5th, just 15 confirmed cases. So you say, okay, great moment in time. Let's look at the seven-day moving average, okay? I'm sorry, I don't want to geek out here. I get it. You're like, moving average, what are you doing? This is a podcast. No, look, this is important. Seven-day moving average. In other words, this number that I'm about to give you shows the average number of new cases that are added over the week that leads up to any given day. So on April 30th, for example, the seven-day moving average was 544 cases that week, starting on April 30th. The next day, May 1st, 469 goes down. The next day, May 2nd, 426, down again. May 3rd, down again at 393. May 4th, down again, 283. And May 5th, down again, 181. So look, I get it. The numbers could change. But if we're going to go on the numbers, on the facts, then the curve is flattening in Georgia, even after the phase reopening. Now, of course, President Trump can only hope that more states have numbers like that uh, as the reopening begins. Anyhow, I just wanted to kind of give you some numbers because you hear a lot of stuff in the New York Times like, oh, my goodness, Georgia's reopened. What are they doing? Look, those are the numbers from the Georgia Department of Health. FYI. All right, let's get to the Corey Lewandowski interview. Once again, senior advisor to the Trump uh, 2020 campaign. And by the way, when it comes to knowing Donald Trump very well, hey, Lewandowski, right near the top. He's also at the top of another list, the straight shooter list. Doesn't hold anything back. That's just the way we like it here at the Pod's Honest Truth. I mean, remember, that's the name of our show, right? The Pod's Honest Truth. We're not called the Pod's Honest Half-Truths. We're not called the Pod's Honest Kind of the Truth. So Corey lets it rip right here. Here's the first part of our interview.
Corin Lewandowski, great to see you again. Uh, staying safe there up in where New Hampshire now, yeah? I am, David. Look, it's great to be home in New Hampshire. I've been here for eight weeks. I haven't been on an airplane, if you can believe it, but I'm ready to get the economy open again. And now, Corey, you've got to be going a little stir crazy. Eight weeks, you know, basically inside a house. I mean, that, I mean, there's only so much you can go to the grocery store, let's be honest. Well, it, it's so true. And look, you know, David, for the last 15 years of my life, I've lived it on airplanes and on the road. Uh, for the last six years, I've been part of the Trump Organization from early in the primary all the way to now. And I've just spent so much time on the road that it's been so strange and a bit surreal to be home this much. You know, the dog actually knows who I am. My kids still know my face. It's a, it's a unique experience. Well, let's start there then. Uh, what has been keeping your time uh, going, if you will? What have you been up to? Uh, what are some things that are important to you that, that are really kind of driving what you want to do here in the next three to six months as we move to the uh, general election here? Well, I'm, I'm so fortunate to be part of the Trump campaign, the Trump-Pensary election campaign. I serve as the senior advisor to the campaign, which is such a privilege, working with Brad Parscale and the entire team and Laura Trump and uh, Kimberly Guilfoyle, you know, look, putting together what really is a juggernaut of a campaign. It's so different than where we were four years ago, where there were softball teams that had more people on it than the campaign did, right? But where we are now is, look, it's a different way to communicate. We're spending time doing things that we could have never done without the corona pandemic. And what I mean by that, David, is we've slowed things down. Friday night, Jim Jordan, the congressman from Virginia, and I did a Zoom call with a bunch of people out in Arizona. We wouldn't have thought about doing those things if we'd been functioning the way we had always done it. Tonight, I'm gonna join the Ohio Republican Party and talk to their donors and raise money. Again, not something that video conferencing would have really been useful for without the pandemic bringing us back home. You know, I would have been on an airplane doing those things. So, you know, look, as, as much as you look for the bright light in this, the opportunity to use technology and transform the way we're communicating is something I think is going to come out of this. Corey, give us a sense between 2016, uh, you living history, if you will. I hate to use that term. Sorry, that was Hillary's book. My bad. We should probably scratch that, but you know what I'm saying. You were living history. Uh, and, and now to 2020, what's your sense between what, what was palpable then and what is palpable today in terms of momentum for this president? Uh, the coronavirus has thrown everybody off their stride. So, so where are we exactly, Corey? Well, you know, in 2016, there was no expectation for Donald Trump to win the media, most of which said this was all just, you know, an ego boost and he didn't really want to run and win. And so we could do things because of the freedom of that. Now he's the president of the United States, the leader of the free world. You know, when we move an airplane around, you're moving hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people for protection reasons and travel restrictions, and all those things. And, and look, uh, I was with the president at the very last rally he did in Charlotte, North Carolina in the beginning of March. Today is the first time he's been back on that plane since that time where he's flying to Arizona. And you know, the president loves to be on the road. He loves to see people. We saw how many of those giant rallies. We've now done almost 600 rallies since Donald Trump came down that escalator in June of 2015, almost 600. But we've got to put them on hold because first and foremost, you have to make sure people are safe. And there's a personal responsibility factor here, and maybe there comes a time when he can continue to do them, but I do know this. The president wants to make sure the health and the safety of the American people is paramount and is at the forefront of his thoughts. We didn't have those concerns in 2016. And the other part of this, David, is in 2016, we could sneak up on him a little bit. 
Okay, the Democrats didn't think we were real, so they didn't go and fight hard in Wisconsin and Pennsylvania and Michigan, places where Donald Trump won by a handful. 10,704 votes in Michigan is what Donald Trump won by. The Democrats don't think he can't win anymore. They know he can win because he's the president of the United States. Mm -hmm. So they've doubled and quadrupled their efforts. And we've seen that in their fundraising numbers in the first quarter. Corey, how do you game plan against Biden uh, as it relates to Hillary Clinton? Uh, can you give us some, some sense as to, to where you go uh, on Biden? I got to tell you, I've had uh, Mercedes Schlapp on uh, and, and many others as well. Laura Trump's been on this uh, podcast as well. And they all have questioned his mental acuity uh, as go, going forward. He, they said, just look, Mark Lauder said the other day, just, just look at what you see out there. So uh, wh where are you guys going exactly as it relates to targeting Biden? Well, I think part of it is obviously, you know, and I love speaking with the president and my advice to him is, hey, let's have a Lincoln Douglas style debate every day between now and election day with you and Joe Biden up on stage. He's either A, going to fall asleep or B, make so many mistakes. The people of America are going to say there's no way this guy can be our president. But you also have to look at Joe Biden's record. And I like to call him Beijing Biden. You know, he has cozied up to China for the last 50 years, 36 years as a U.S. senator, eight years as the vice president of the United States. And we're going to tie his record of economic failures and the coupling of the American economy to China during his eight years in the vice presidency and remind the American people that this president, Donald Trump, campaigned on the fact that we were too cozy with China, that we had to renegotiate our bad trade deals. And he's been able to do that. But this virus has really highlighted the stark contrast between a globalist view, which Joe Biden has, and an America first eccentric view, which is what Donald Trump has. And he has said, and I think America agrees, we can never allow another country to hold over us our opportunity to protect our own people. And we've seen that the personal protective equipment by and large has been being manufactured outside of this country, which means we were unprepared when this pandemic hit us because China controlled too many cards. That's never gonna happen again. All right, so just so I'm clear, you're saying I'm prepared because some of the polling, and you've seen it, uh, th there's concern that the president and this administration wasn't as prepared as they could have been, or at least in the response. Uh, at least that's what the polling is showing. What is your sense about th that polling and whether or not that will make a key difference, if not the difference, in 2020? Well, David, you have to remember, this president inherited a stockpile which had been decimated. This had, they inherited a, an economy which had been outsourced to every other country in the world, whether it was uh, the North American Free Trade Agreement or other Iranian nuclear deal or all of the, the companies that had gone offshore to China because it was cheaper and allowed. And this president came in and he said, hey, I'm going to use the power of tariffs. And there was a lot of pushback in his own administration from uh, those Wall Street executives said you can't use tariffs to bring countries back in line, but we've seen that he can do that. And until this pandemic hit, we were the envy of the world, the hottest economy the world had ever seen. We had unemployment rates down in the three somewhere, and everybody who wanted a job was working. So we have to be able to rebuild that. And when we are in a rebuilding stage, we have to ask ourselves, do we want to go back to the days of Joe Biden, who's never signed the front of a paycheck, but only the back of a paycheck, or a person like Donald Trump, who in three years had more people working than ever in American's history. So look, that's what this is about. It's about bringing America back. It's about the USA being strong again. 
making sure our allies understand that we won't be taken advantage of, and making sure our enemies and our adversaries know when we draw a line in the sand, that line won't be crossed. That's a very different outlook than the Barack Obama years, the Barack Obama-Biden years, when we were apologetic to be Americans. And I think that's part of what fueled the rise of Donald Trump, was those eight years of always apologizing and putting other countries first. That has not changed. The global economy has changed. But this notion that we shouldn't be proud to be Americans, I don't think that will ever change. Corey, are you concerned at all from an economic standpoint that the third quarter numbers might not be as good as uh, hopefully that are being projected by the president? I know the president wants to see those third quarter numbers as we roll into the fall uh, do doing well, but you know who knows? I mean, this could drag on for a while. Look, David, I'm very concerned. Anybody should be. Look, I'm just a I'm just a dumb political operative who's got a you know degree from polit in political science, so I'm not an economist. And I didn't stay at the Holiday Inn Express last night. So let me say this. We've got 30 million Americans out of work right now. We've got an unemployment rate north of 19%. If you're a political guy, you know, that's a devastating number. So you have to be concerned about it. But you have to ask yourself, what can we do to get the country back to work? What can we do to start opening up this economy? Because what the president has said, and I believe the American people agree with, is the solution can't be worse than the problem. And when you, and look, I'm not a Harvard guy, but the Belfort Institute out of Harvard said that if you're under 30 years old, there's been less than 100 deaths from COVID-19. If you're under 40 years old, there's been less than 1,000 deaths. And I'm not trying to minimize right. one death or 1,000, but we've literally shut the U.S. economy down, a multi-trillion dollar economy for fear of people dying. And we should be cautious about that. But my point, David, is it's not a one-size-fits-all. What has to apply in New York City doesn't have to apply in New Hampshire. And what we do in New Hampshire doesn't necessarily correlate to what they do in Massachusetts or Texas. Texas is a big state. And I think as, as governors are looking at reopening their states so that we can start to grow our economy back, maybe it's done on a county by county level. Mm -hmm. When you look at Ohio and you've got 88 counties, as you know them all, you know, you say, hey, look, maybe right now we have a problem in, in Columbiana County or in Coshocton County, or whatever it may be, but that doesn't mean the whole state has to stay closed. And there were some governors, Governor Reynolds, Governor Ricketts, Governor Nome, they didn't close their state because they said there were too many counties that had no cases. And it didn't make sense to impart that economic devastation that occurs with a one-size-fits-all approach. So I'm worried, but I also understand the optimism that I think this president is giving to those governors and saying, be smart, open wisely, personal responsibility, we can get these jobs back. Look, uh, look, I've known you for a while now, Corey. You're a straight shooter. You've always been. And if we can just talk in straight shooting mode here, this is a gamble out of the president. Uh, and, and yes, he's pushing it off. Not pushing it off, but he's, he's saying, governors, you've got to decide. I get it. But if this thing uh, comes back, uh, so to speak, and the and the infection rates go up and the deaths go up after some of these states have opened up. I know he's saying governors have to decide, but this is going to fall on him. It's a big gamble here, Corey. It, it's a huge gamble. And look, what we know is the testing component is where things continue to fall short. The Abbott, the Abbott lab testing, that is basically an instant test, okay? Once we know that states have the resources necessary to do all the testing that they deem to be appropriate, then I think we're gonna see a real resurgence of people coming back to work. But right now in states like Maryland and in Washington state, uh, we're seeing some states who are saying we're gonna close through July 6th. 
that's economic devastation for those people because those jobs will never come back. But the real gamble, David, and, and you're exactly right, if there is a resurgence, not just in the next four weeks or six weeks, but as the weather turns again, if come the fall in September and October, we see an uptick again in the COVID-19 uh, pandemic coming back because we didn't handle it right the first time, we still don't have testing and we don't have a solution, that is devastating as an incumbent president of the United States. Yeah, no, I appreciate you being straight up. You always have been, Corey. Hey, let me ask you about the secret Trump voter out there. <laughs> I'm doing a story. I got to tell you, I talked to a few this morning. They're out there. Uh, what is your sense of whether or not that will be in play again in 2020? We saw it in 2016. There was that, you know, a pollster calls up and they're like, I'm not telling you who I'm voting for. And then, oh, by the way, honey, I'm voting for Trump. What, is, is your sense that that's still out there and how prevalent might that be? You know, it, it's definitely out there, David, but where the secret Trump voter, in my opinion, is going to come from this time, and I know no one wants to say it, is the black vote. It's the African-American vote who, by and large, has seen their lives better because of the policies of this president, whether it's criminal justice reform, whether it's the economic reforms that he's put in place, whether it's the opportunity to, to change the pattern of the way it's been done in the past. And look, what we saw in the 2016 election cycle was Donald Trump got 8% of the black vote. Doesn't sound like a lot, but John McCain and Mitt Romney, respectively, got two and three percent of the black vote. Now they were running against a historical black candidate in Barack Obama. That being said, if Donald Trump's numbers amongst the African American community crest at north of 15 percent, there is no mathematical formula that is going to allow a Democrat to be successful. And that's very important. And I think what you've seen now is people like Kanye West and others who are leaders in the black community saying, hey, you know what? Donald Trump has done more for me than anybody has in the past. We've seen that with some professional athletes. And I think that's a real opportunity for us. Bob Dole received 12% of the black vote in 1996. That was the high watermark for us in really what's been almost 30 years now. If Donald Trump gets up over 15%, uh, that puts the state of Michigan in play. We've got a great candidate for the U.S. Senate there. He happens to be an African-American. His name is John James. Yep, He's going to continue to draw out that African-American community, which is only going to help Donald Trump. And I think that hidden voter that you alluded to there still absolutely exists. And it's really going to come from some of those minority communities that for too long the Democrats have taken advantage of. Let me ask you one more campaign question, and then we're pretty much done. But but I'm curious about the, the campaign slogan in 16, obviously, Make America Great Again. We know about that. 2020, Keep America Great. But has there been a, a sense, uh, at least reading some articles here in the Washington Post and New York Times, that, you know, kind of a, a pivot to a degree, a loose pivot to kind of go back to make America great again because of the numbers now that we're seeing, and we've got to make America great again again. Uh, a second time. What's the sense inside the campaign about that? Well, look, you know, the president, as you know, is the greatest brander uh, we've ever seen. And so he's going to come up with the right slogan for him. You know, I, I love the idea of bring America back. Uh, you know, that's something that we were there. We were the envy of the world. Look, uh, America strong, USA strong. We've seen in my home community of Boston, Massachusetts, after the bombing where it was Boston strong. And, and that was something that people rallied around. So, look, the, the president's ultimately going to decide what he wants. Uh, keeping America great is not just about the economic security of our country, but you have to also remember what he's been able to do 
for our military and the, the desire to end these endless wars and bring our troops back home and so many other things. And I know that for too long, the mainstream media didn't want to focus on the success of the economy because they didn't want to give the president credit for it. But he has a track record here of judicial reform, regulatory reform, uh, immigration reform, a lot of things that have impacted people across the spectrum. And so when they go to vote in November, I don't believe people are monolithic. There are some people who have a one-issue voter. It's a life issue. It's the Second Amendment issue, whatever it may be, and that's up to them. I think by and large, people look at it, the totality of it and say, look at what he's been able to accomplish in such an adverse environment. We're going to return Donald Trump and Mike Pence. If you thought that was compelling, <laughs> wait until we get back from the break. Corey Lewandowski on Michael Flynn, Paul Manafort, and Roger Stone. Stone? That's right, I said it. Stone. I don't care. I could have done an outtake. Let's just leave that in there, shall we? Roger Stone. Grab the popcorn. Back in a moment. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. And we're back on The Pod's Honest Truth. All right, time now for Corey Lewandowski to discuss the deep state. And he has a lot to say. As a matter of fact, he actually wrote a book all about the deep state with David Bossy. It's called Trump's Enemies, How the Deep State is Undermining the Presidency. Well, <laughs> enter Michael Flynn and the nasty job the FBI did on him. And I shouldn't say nasty. I should call it something that they say. I'm just going to say the word nasty. I mean, just, just downright nasty. Corey has a few things to get off his chest about that, not to mention a few things to say about Paul Manafort and Roger Stone and how they were treated by the feds. He invokes J. Edgar Hoover and the word baby. Wait till you hear this. Now, part two. My final question is about, it's a deep state question. You wrote about this a, a lot in your book, all about the deep state and exposing them. Um, Michael Flynn, I'm just curious to get your take on, on what this handwritten FBI note and everything that's gone down with that. It's kind of two-part also about, uh, look, and, and I know you and Paul Manafort, I don't want to have a history, but, you know, there, there's stuff there. But, you know, Paul, Paul Manafort also has gotten, uh, from a humanitarian standpoint, I mean, for, for the crime compared to how he's been treated in jail. So I'm kind of wondering about Flynn and Manafort, and maybe you could just take it from there. Yeah, so look, let me start with the easy one first. I hate Paul Manafort, which is very easy to say. Okay, but David, that being said, Paul Manafort and Roger Stone were unbelievably unfairly treated, okay, for the crimes that they were committed and ultimately found guilty of by a jury of their peers, okay? They were treated very differently than anybody else because if the FBI wanted to question either Paul Manafort or Roger Stone, they could have picked up the phone, called their attorneys, asked them to come in, and do these midnight raids with uh, uh, you know, gunships and, and helicopters overhead. I mean, there were more people raiding Roger Stone's house than the Osama bin Laden raid. I mean, that is insanity in this country. And, and let me just put it in perspective for your viewers who don't know Roger Stone. I think everyone knows he had no access to capital because he wasn't wealthy. He didn't have a valid U.S. passport, okay? He has never been convicted of a crime before and didn't own a weapon. So to send that type of firepower in at four o'clock in the morning 
goes to show you how overzealous the government can be sometimes. And I believe that Roger and Paul have been treated unfairly. Look, am I sad to see Paul in jail? Yeah, maybe, maybe a little, maybe not. But the truth is, he was treated unfairly. As it relates to Michael Flynn, this is probably one of the most gross abuses of FBI power, even since the inception of the FBI. It makes Herbert Hoover look like a baby. It makes, it makes J. Edgar Hoover look like a little baby, okay? What they did was they used their badges and their guns, and they predetermined the outcome when they walked in, not just to anybody's house, but to the White House, and didn't speak to just anybody. They were speaking to the National Security Advisor to the President of the United States, a former three-star head of the Defense Intelligence Agency, who answered their questions with honesty and openness without an attorney present because he had nothing to hide. And what we find out now is that the goal was either, A, do we get Mike Flynn to lie? Do we want the truth? Or do we want him to lie so he can either be fired or prosecuted? This is their own words. These are bad people. And David, I'll tell you, what's most disappointing to me, someone who served in law enforcement as a police officer here in my home state in New Hampshire, uh, to know that the abuses like that transpired against Mike Flynn tells me it could happen to anybody. And none of those people have been held accountable. I know Amy McCabe's been fired, but then CNN gave him his pension by hiring him over there instead, right? Comey, who under congressional oath said he's the one who authorized those people to go there. Andy McCabe, Peter Strzok, Lisa Page, James Baker, who was the general counsel of the FBI. None of these people have been criminally prosecuted. And I can tell you this, I have had direct conversations with anybody who will listen to say, these people need to be held accountable. There's been two separate sets of justice, one for Hillary Clinton supporters, one for Donald Trump supporters. And I believe the evidence will indicate, and U.S. Attorney Durham will show, that these people used their power in the government to go after people solely based on their support of Donald Trump. That is done in third world dictatorships, not the greatest country in the world. A quick follow-up on Flynn. Uh, the pushback on that from the media will say, well, he did admit to lying. So what's the response to, to that? Look, David, my guess is, and I know Gerald Flynn well, I traveled with him a lot in full disclosure during the campaign. He was one of our surrogates on the plane. Yeah. Uh, my guess is uh, they probably threatened him or his family with additional charges, whether it was his son or some other loved one. And he decided the honorable thing to do was, even though he didn't believe he was guilty, to plead to something to make sure his other family members didn't have to go through it. This guy is a man of honor and integrity, uh, a man who dedicated his entire professional career to the US military, rising to the level of a three-star general. And I think that's what happened. But what you will see is he was coerced. That is going to be inadmissible. And they're going to, I believe, and I'm not an attorney, they're going to throw this whole thing out. He's not going to need a commutation or a pardon from Donald Trump because the, the, the courts are going to step in and say, anything that you said to these crooked, dishonest FBI agents is completely disregarded. We're going to hold those people accountable for their bias against you. And that's where I hope this goes. And if not, I hope President Trump pardons them. Corey Lewandowski, you know, when it comes to straight shooters, I interview a lot of straight shooters. You are at the top of the list, bar none. I appreciate it. And by the way, cabin fever, I know. Stay safe. There's only so much you can go to the grocery store. You want to go to a rally. I know you do eventually. Yes, I do. You bet I do. And the next one, I promise I'm going to be there. So thank you, David. Appreciate you having me. A big thanks to Corey Lewandowski for joining me on the pod's 
honest truth. Look, I know that Corey ruffles some feathers. I got it. He's very much like Trump in that way. They're both no-nonsense people. They're going to speak their truth whether you like it or not. They worked together in 2016, and guess what, folks? It turned into campaign magic. Now he's back in a different role. We'll see if campaign lightning can strike twice, but look, whatever the case, Corey Lewandowski will always have a prominent place in history, an integral part of Team Trump, a small band of renegades who took the country and world by storm in 2016, and they haven't looked back since. And that's the Pod's Honest Truth. Until next time, America.